You are listening to the FDNY Pearl Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio, and today I'll be speaking with Division Chief James Martin and Captain Jack Quigley, both veterans of EMS. Welcome to both of you. Thank, Thank you. you. Chief Martin, JP, let's start with you. You started in 1978. What does it EMS look like at that time? EMS, of course, was a much smaller organization. Uh, there were only two paramedic units in the Bronx, for example, and there were probably 12 or 14 ambulances that covered all of the Bronx. That was where I was originally assigned. And my first garage was Webster Outpost. And I walked in, and on the wall is a picture of a 1942 Cadillac. And I was intrigued by that because I've always been kind of a car guy. And I was sort of wondering, where did that picture come from? But they put me on the ambulance, and I got to work an evening shift, which is great if you like to run around. And they sent us all over the Bronx. You were a paramedic when you started, or an I was EMT? I was an EMT. I went to paramedic school in uh, the fall, October of 78, and graduated in February of 79. Hit the streets as a paramedic. We had the entire left side of the Bronx, everything west of the Bronx River Parkway, one paramedic unit. Wow. We put 100 miles on a truck every night. During your promotions, where else did you work besides the Bronx? When I was first promoted to lieutenant, they sent me to Harlem on midnights, which I learned a lot. As a captain, I was assigned to the academy, and I worked there for three or four years as the captain before being promoted to chief. While I worked at the academy, uh, my boss there, Gus Pappas, uh, I approached him one day and said, we should put a museum together. And uh, he said, well, what do you have in mind? And I explained my idea. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you one day a week. Go into Manhattan, go do your research, and come back and put something together for us. Mm. And that's what I did. Went into Manhattan, got lots of research done, collected a lot of pictures. And Jack Quigley and I and, and another lieutenant, Carl Tramontana, banged some wood together, and, uh, and we put together the first EMS museum which was a collection of photos, but it didn't tell everything that we wanted to tell. And we didn't have that opportunity until much later to, uh, to revamp that. Uh, so as a chief, later on, I, was, uh, I worked at Lincoln Hospital, um, Station 21, as uh, commanding officer there. Uh, and then I was promoted to division chief, and I was in charge of EMS training for the last six years or so of my career. And now you're retired and came back to help reassemble the museum that had been yeah, taken and, down uh, for uh, renovations in the building. For those listeners not familiar with our uh, system, the EMS Academy that we're constantly referring to in Building 325 is located in Queens on Fort Totten. Jack, how about you tell us a little bit about your history and how you started and what your rise through the ranks has been over the years? I started in high school. I joined the local volunteer ambulance corps, Jackson Heights Volunteer Ambulance Corps, and liked being on the ambulance and helping people. And uh, from high school, went into my first year of college, and uh, that was going okay. And at the time, there was a waiting list for EMS, so I went down to 
of the central office for EMS at the time, 58th Street in Maspeth. Turns out this per diem program was at that time, this was 1981, um, was a stopgap for the vacancies that they were experiencing at the time. Our names were given to all the boroughs and they would call us if they had vacancies. And so we were active, that was probably like March of 81. And we were pretty active and then the unions fought the per diem program and uh, the most active per diems were hired full time. And that's how I got my start date in June of 81. So I actually started a little beforehand, but uh, as a per diem. So I've spent the majority of my career in the academy, but uh, I've gone back and forth to the field as I got promoted. So our affiliation, the three of us, all spent a period of time working with each other at the EMS Academy. Right, which, our, our careers all crossed there. Right, during a very, very busy period. Extremely busy, yes. There's a huge hiring going on in the late 80s. Right. Um, they asked us to do, to actually double, if not triple, the number of employees that we were right. turning out. Right. And during that, that time period is when the first generation of the museum um, was assembled. And that's a credit to you. So tell us, JP, how did you get interested in even pursuing this idea of we need an EMS museum. It started that first day at Webster Outpost when I saw that picture of the 1942 Cadillac on the wall and sort of prompted the question, what happened before this? How did we get to be where we are now? Um, and at the time, we were the busiest and still are the busiest ambulance service in the country. And so it's an incredible development process and there was no information anywhere because at one time the the entire ambulance system was fragmented. Mm. Uh, every hospital ran their own. In order to research it you had to go to different hospitals. There was no internet at the time and I started collecting information and photos on how the system developed. So once we had the germ of an idea uh, I had spent five years before I worked for EMS in the exhibit industry working for a company designing and building exhibits for trade shows and conventions. So I had access to a lot of materials. We were able to take those materials and develop that into our museum. We had a number of photographs reproduced and put them on the wall and we built a, a display case for some of the artifacts that we had collected. And once we put a few things in a lot of our older members came in and said, oh, you know what I have? And they would bring in an artifact, and somebody else would bring in a uniform, and someone else would bring in some other article that we had remembered, but nobody had bothered to save. But now we've started putting this all together into our display cases, and we tried to categorize it in terms of medical equipment and badges. So as people came in, uh, they would get very nostalgic and, and look back to uh, how the system developed. This is in the first iteration of the museum. In the first iteration the of the museum. So when you gather all of this material, all of this history, and you decide you're going to assemble it into these displays, I presume you went back to Chief Pappas and said, this is what I've got and this is my vision? And I had been reporting to him all along mm -hmm. how far how much progress we were making. And he said, when am I gonna get my museum? What, he would ask me every week, when am I gonna get my museum? So he, we identified space 
an alcove at, uh, at the academy and we put together our panels and our display cases and we opened our museum in, in 1992. And people really appreciated being able to look back and see how the system kind of came together. Right. And um, so that's when you recruit Jack and Carl Tremontana? Yeah. Yep. So Jack, how did that conversation go? I think, uh, well, JP and I have very similar personalities. And as we said, working at the academy at that time with the demands of training, we spent a lot of time together. So we really got to know each other and, and bond. And I would go into JP's office and see old pictures and, you know, patches and things. I like patches. And um, I would see things in his office, and it would pique my curiosity. Mm -hmm. So I'd start asking questions and looking. And you got to remember, when JP first started researching this and, and doing all the legwork, it was legwork. Mm -hmm. There was no internet. Right. You didn't have the computers. It wasn't Googling. It was physically going down and digging through archives and files and photographs. And uh, so he would have things in his office, and I would look at them, and I got the bug. And uh, then he said, you know, we're building the museum, and... Uh, I had done other things around the, the academy, fixing some things up, mm. so he knew I had some carpentry skills. And uh, You're a very talented carpenter <laughs> for our <laughs> listeners. You. Very talented. Um, so between that and then JP's background in display making and uh, uh, displays for convention centers and things, everything was just mixing right. And uh, we built the museum. We were pretty proud of it. It came out really nice. It did. It had its limitations, and uh, some of them we didn't know at the time, and I don't think we even knew them fully until we started building this museum. JP came up with, when, when the concept came up of opening the new museum, we had just gone through a five-year renovation program at the Building 325 at the Academy, and uh, I must say they always allotted space for the museum. Right. The, people were worried the museum wouldn't come back. Mm -hmm. The space was always going to be there. Mm -hmm. So once the construction was done and uh, we were approached about setting up the museum again, JP's mind <laughs> came up with this great concept for the new museum to be a timeline and really not just show but educate everybody about EMS going back to 1869. Now this time we also had the internet to use and JP would come once or twice a week and we would throw ideas around and bounce things off. And I would always print something and go, have you seen this? He's like, I've never seen that picture before. So we had the internet to now have all this new material and information available to us. This museum was uh, also an education in certain ways for us. Right. How to take this almost 150 years of history and put it into a 20 by 20 room and organize it so that it was now educational, not just looking at artifacts and old uniforms. Right. And uh, we, we hit the mark. We did really well with it. The whole design concept was a whole evolution in a, itself. It took eight months to put together. So if you really look at the pictures and you look at the way everything was constructed, there's an, a rhyme and a reason to everything. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it was an educational process for us and, and very enjoyable, too put that together. 
all the original photos from back in the 1870s, 1880s, they're kind of sepia tone, and we work our way into color as we work around the room uh, until the modern era. So we try and set that tone graphically. Department of Hospitals era ambulances were blue and gray, so we used that as the background colors for that particular panel. And um, in the 70s, ambulances were white with orange stripes, so we, we used um, that motif, the earth tone colors, for that particular panel. We also have a panel attributed just to the development of paramedic program and how that radically changed the delivery of emergency medical care in the 1970s. Probably the greatest change in the history of, uh, of EMS is the development of the paramedic program. And the key players there, Dr. Jacobson and that original paramedic class who worked with Dr. Jo Jacobson to develop protocols for us that we still use today right. and, of course, been expanded since then. Mm -hmm. So May 18th, we have the ribbon-cutting ceremony. And I know that you personally invited some of the major contributors to what has become modern-day EMS. The announcement was made on social media that on May 18th we're going to reopen the museum, and word got out very quickly. And it, it spread. It was an incredible number yeah. of who's who EMS All of a sudden, past it, yes, showed up. In a matter of hours, the number of hits and comments and likes that were, we received, and when you looked at who was hitting the likes and the comments, names I hadn't heard in 20, 25 years, mm. um, was incredible. And, and you saw this renewed interest. These were people that loved the job too. There were probably close to 300 people who came to enjoy that, the opening. I had stayed away from the academy on purpose. I didn't want to be tempted. We did try and keep people yeah limit their exposure to this while we built it so that when the opening happened you got that true feeling uh, a gut feeling visceral yeah. feeling and of how it was jack i'm so glad you said that because that is exactly what happened so i walk right past that threshold and i want to tell you that i it was emotional for me i thought it was exactly what you wanted it to be. It was going to tell this entire story and weave together all of these decades of different people who were contributors to what we now know as FDNY EMS. And it was all being told in this very small space in such a beautiful way. I was very moved, really. Yeah, we, we felt we hit the mark that we were looking for and, and even for ourselves exceeded it. I would work on it being assigned there day by day, and I couldn't wait till JP was coming in. He came in on Wednesdays um, in the beginning and couldn't wait for him to show up on Wednesday and, and go, look what we did. Because <laughs> we would tweak things, change things a little bit, right. and I'm he sure would he just did. walk in, and he had that same, wow, that's great. Let's go with that. Once I retired, I realized that all the projects I worked on when I, when I was at EMS were team efforts. When you retire, things become much more individualized. So when this opportunity came up to work with Jack again and collaborate, I really just jumped at the opportunity because I, I know how Jack works, how meticulous he is. 
I got introduced to Rob Hines, who's a lieutenant at the academy, who's equally meticulous and eager to learn, not just about the history, but different graphic techniques and how we're going to place items on the boards right. for maximum effect. And it was just a terrific collaboration. So it, it worked really, really well. We could not be happier with the results. And at this stage, I wouldn't change any aspect of it. I think we, we tell the story very well, concisely. I agree. I think what our listeners don't necessarily know that our EMS insiders know is that Jack, as I said before, you are a very talented carpenter and UJP are a very talented graphic artist and so the two combined and then recruiting in new blood yeah you mm -hmm. really accomplished the goal we had all our bases covered and it was it was a great collaboration it certainly yeah. was I and mean, the end result is tremendous and of course we could not forget the role of the FDNY foundation in helping to support financially yes. all of the needs to put this museum together because it shows in the end product that uh, somebody had to foot the bill. Yeah. <laughs> and it's thanks to the FDMY Foundation who also mm -hmm. sponsors the entire website, fdmypro.org, to further the mission of the FDNY and preserving the history of EMS obviously is, is a, a major part of everything that they support. Well, definitely. And May 18th was not only the opening of the museum, but it was also a, a rededication of Building 325, who had undergone a, a five-year renovation. And in that renovation was upgrading the audiovisual um, aspects in all the classrooms. And the foundation was very instrumental in getting us the funding to upgrade the computers, the monitors, uh, laptops, screens, everything that now allows us to teach in a modern classroom setting. So the foundation has been very instrumental in supporting training. And this, this is the first upgrade that building has had since 1985, right. which we were never able to get capital approval for, that the foundation really came through for us and will ensure for years to come that we will have a, a state-of-the-art institution that can meet the needs of the fire department and the city of New York and the right. demands on the emergency medical service. Right. So how does somebody visit the museum? During EMS week, every year, the building will be open for anybody to come in. The museum itself is open at all times, Monday through Friday from 7 in the morning to 11 o'clock at night for new employees, current employees, people attending training programs at Fort Totten, uh, retirees and their family members. And EMS week every year is in the third week of May. Yes. I myself did not have time to take in every aspect of the museum during the museum opening. It will definitely require me to go back to really appreciate each aspect of the museum. If you really, I think, read the panels and take the time to absorb everything from those eras, you could probably spend a good at least hour and a half, two hours, taking it all in and mm -hmm. reading everything and understanding what was happening. Yeah. yeah, I'm kind of hoping that this becomes a destination for maybe middle school kids to look at and think about EMS as a career. Right. And as they walk around the room, they'll get a sense of how the system developed and 
maybe they would like to do that too. Maybe like the uh, career in public service, right. helping people through crises right. and get a little picture of what that's like from the pictures and the stories on the panels and listening to some of the interviews we did with experienced members on the job talking about their experiences working on the ambulance. I think one of the interesting things that I'm looking forward to is to see where this goes. You know, you never really know what to expect, right? We have members building a museum. And while I know that the commissioner and the chief of department are acutely aware of the hidden talents and the many hidden talents of our members, when our members step up to a project like that and produce something of such high caliber, you can't help but be in awe that these are our own people who, you know, whose day job is totally unrelated to the project that they actually worked on. They're shocked and in awe. And I would say that that probably sums up how the executive staff walked through that museum. It was a little bit of shock and a lot of awe. I just think of it as being consistent with everything we've ever done at the Academy, where we always yeah. set a very high standard for whatever program we're going to do. We try and make it as interesting as possible. We take into consideration all the new learning systems that people have that are different than the way we learned. Mm -hmm. And you take that into account when you design a program and the presentation of that program. And I, I think it's just as consistent as the level that we teach at the EMS Academy and have always done so. I would agree. Well, thank you both for being here today. It was a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for asking us. It's really great to be able to share this uh, experience with our listeners. Thanks for listening to the FDMY Pro Podcast. I'm Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio. For more training and information from our department's subject matter experts, go to fdnypro.org. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest.